Howdy, gang. Thank you for tuning into Back Country and Barbells. I am Joe Schmack. Today, uh, Jeremy and I get into e-scouting. Um, in a recent interview I did with Joe Miles out of Columbia, South Carolina, he mentioned that, uh, hey, man, you need to spend. Um, it was his recommendation as an experienced and very successful hunter to get out into scouting somehow um, three times as often as you're in the woods so with that in mind jeremy and i kind of hammer out e-scouting it's a great way to make that up if you know you're earning your livelihood um with a nine to five like jeremy and i do um e-scouting is a great way to make up some of that time so we give you how we go about it so hope you enjoy that episode and um hey man for when you do get out into the woods and e-scouting make sure you are protecting your feet um and that layer in between your boot and your foot should be covered with a high quality sock and you guys know we've talked about them a lot before that high quality sock should be an Ellsworth sock featuring v-channel patented technology the most advanced sock in the game guys if you head on over to ellsworthsocks.com use code b and b20 at checkout and you will save 20 percent off your purchase hey uh real quick this weekend um the family and i were running around olympic national park and my kids uh were not wearing ellsworth socks my wife was not wearing ellsworth socks and um as they got slammed and their feet wet um murking around on ruby beach um their feet got saturated their feet got cold and guess what their socks didn't dry out um as quickly as mine did and um now I got to go out and buy them pairs of Ellsworth socks, and I will use that code, and you should too. Again, guys, ellsworthsocks.com, B&B20 to save 20%, and I think you'll really be happy, man. Um, not only is it a comfy, warm pair of socks when it gets wet, they dry pretty quick, and um, I know I was a lot happier than they were, so uh, check them out, and um, guys, check out this episode. Let us know what you think at the end of the show. You can always leave us a review. You can always check out our website where we have the Basecamp program. You can always reach out to us for some other programming options, along with the um, e-scouting tips and tricks. We spend a little bit of time in the beginning talking about pull-ups. So um, enjoy this episode. And remember, guys, we're doing this all in an effort to help you train, hunt, and live your best life possible. Let us know if we're hitting that mark. And you guys, enjoy your week. Thank you very much. <laughs> Howdy, critters. Uh Backcountry and barbells uh, coming at you. Full team here. Uh, no surprise guests. Jeremy, what's going on, brother? Hey, what's up, my man? I'm going to start this off with some good news. I just put it out to you, but I know, like, um, I've been, like, stressfully speculating how long we get to stay in this area because, you know, if you guys listen long enough, you know, my wife's active duty military and uh, they're a good husband. Um, I follow her around from time to time when the Army asks us to leave. Um but we just found out we're staying here in Washington an extra year, so that's fired up. So, um, with again, I got that's awesome, man. I got to tell you something, man. Um, I said this on an earlier show. If I add up all the COVID craziness that's been happening in my life, to be perfectly honest, I've benefited from this situation. <laughs> like, I'm spending more time with my kids. <laughs> my pay hasn't changed, but I'm working less hours. You know, the wife and the, all the military timelines just got extended and we're happy here. And I know that that's not everybody, but um, I'm trying to exercise more gratitude, brother. Um, so I have been super blessed and fortunate through all this. And um, here's just one more thing. So um, I guess rather than waiting for the other shoe to drop, I'm just going to throw my hands up and say thank you. 
I'm fired up. <laughs> no, that's cool, man. I got to tell all those guys I told them I was going to hunt with next year that they're, <laughs> they're off the hook that I can't now. Well, hell, I mean, for me, I'm just kidding you. I just want to get more adventurous in. I mean, this year we're going to be tackling another state. Maybe next year we'll just go adventuring somewhere else. We'll have to go. Uh, for some reason, I feel like if I ever do leave West, one thing that might be off the table is like a big bear hunt. So I think we got to make sure that happens this year or in that time. So, um, I yeah, know, I agree. I know we got a little hammered um, when this thing all started and missed a bear hunt, but we'll work that out. But, um, hey, I, I don't know how personal you want to get to, but, I mean, even with all this COVID stuff, you, you've kind of um, decided to up your game and, and do a little bit more of your own thing, too. I mean, I, I know I know that you've had to make adjustments with certain stuff, but you've you've also tried to make the best of this in your own regard. Yeah, absolutely, man. I uh you know, an entrepreneur that I am, I finally decided to start my own business and started my own marketing firm. So um, some people think I'm crazy starting right now because of the state of the economy. But the reality is, is that a lot of companies are looking for new marketers. So um, they're looking and assessing what their current groups are doing. And um, yeah, I've landed a bunch of great lines and been very fortunate, some outdoor and some sweet. And most of if you guys do all the listeners out there, uh, I'm in the PEI world, which is petroleum um, equipment industry. So I've got lines in that as well. So kind of diversifying. Sweet. Well, you know, and, and look, this might, this is going to be easier to say, but I can't imagine that at the end of this, even if your business was destroyed, and it's easy to say, pick up your bootstraps and start over. But I mean, honestly, that's the only option. So like two, even if one business did close or something really bad happened, like, I guess you can be thankful that you have another day and you can start something new. So in that regard, even if certain things happen, there's probably good. I mean, I can't imagine that there's not going to be like an influx of, you know, guys who are saying just like you did. I mean, and, and for lack of a better word, they're going to throw their hands in the air and say, fuck it, let's go. Let's just do what we got to do. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> exactly. So, well, uh, you know, that's the, that's the only bummer thing about, well, it's not a bummer. I'm, I'm excited about it, but you know, the wives, they always like that stability. Right. But you give a guy and especially me too much time to think about things and then look what happens. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you know, you, you end up doing something, right? I mean, <laughs> which is good, but, yeah. you know, and, and that that's interesting. You know, I was even talking to my son today about all this, and, um, you know, um, you know, as we record this, it's Friday, and it's like a lazy Friday, and I got up early and decided to go hammer out some squat jumps, and um, rather than include my kids in the full workout, what I've been doing with them um, is pulling them in at the tail end, so... We'll do my part together at the very end, and then I'll put them through a little workout. But what I've been pulling them out is to do these little sprints in the back alley. And uh, during those sprints, I got on my son a little bit, you know, because he was horsing around. And um, I'm like, hey, man, how about you give me the focus I want instead of the focus you think you need to give me? And uh, he kind of looks at me and gets all a little sad. And then at the end... um, when we're inside eating breakfast, I'm like, hey, man, I want you to understand where I'm coming from. I've given you a hard time because I know the best thing at the end of the day is for you to work hard all the time because no matter what you want to do, it's not going to be easy. So let's build some habits now. You get it? And then we started to have this conversation and parenting about what you want out of life and this and that. I'm just like, 
but it was cool, right? So it's just like you got to give a little bit of effort. And um, but I bring that up because I'm like, I feel like through effort, no matter what happens, as long as that effort goes, puts you down a path where a guy in particular, if you're able to do what you want to do, that's better than getting a million dollars doing what some asshole wants you to do. <laughs> I mean, so yeah, exactly. And, and that's because that. then you could be miserable, right? <laughs> oh my gosh. You're kidding me. Yeah, that you, is. You'd 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 be rich, but you you're half ass miserable most of the time. Yeah, so it's like you know, you kind of look at it for the hunting world too. I mean, you could sit at home and think about going to a particular area or just go to the old spot that you always go to and you're not successful there and you know, you got one elk or one deer or whatever, a bear every 10 years out of that spot and you just sit there and think about all these other spots, well you just Go to the other spots. Go to where it's not common or what, what you're not familiar with or comfortable with. Get out of that comfort zone. I think so. You got to push it. So, um, so fire it up to everybody who's doing that. Hopefully, as you're coming out of COVID and things are um, loosening up, you're you're able to find the the um, the silver lining in it all and, and taking some proper steps forward. And uh, you know, I was as stressed as anybody. Uh, I'll tell you, one of the things that actually helped me get out of that a bit was. Um, I decided to take on some mindfulness practice, Jeremy, and I've been uh, back. Mindful practice. Yeah, I've been back to. I know I tinkered with meditating a little bit using the Headspace app. Um, I've been tinkering with a new one. Um, it's a waking up app. Um, it's been pretty cool. But um, that even that little practice of getting up in the morning and and doing some guided breath work and um, taking a moment to be aware of things in a real sense, not just kind of getting through things and and that that's that's where some of this um gratitude work comes from and it's it's a cool reminder of it i actually had even had lucy sit on my lap and go through a little bit bit of it with me so um that's been really helpful too it's just like um the stress of it was compounding but i feel like i feel like everybody's coming out of it a little bit um it even seems like even from a national standpoint even some of the protests seem to be a little bit more peaceful now you know what I mean? Not, not, not crazy. Yeah. Um, and, um, I'll, so, so in that regard, it's good. And, um, on the national note, I just want to say one of the things that is really to me, a sign of a, of an, a positive thing. I know the last time we had talked, we were kind of talking about, you know, how negative the protests are and what you shouldn't do, but there are some really cool, positive things. Uh, point in case the, uh, great outdoors act, if you guys are paying attention to, outfits like uh back hunters countries and anglers and and different um nonprofit groups you know that the the great american outdoors act 900 million dollars a year to support federal lands and and different things and in particular this year 9.5 billion dollars um will be allocated for earmarked projects in national parks and some other services but by about a 75% vote that got through the Senate, which is really cool. And that's, again, another demonstration that we can be bipartisan. Um, we can put differences aside and work together as a nation. And we can actually make good decisions that will benefit us in the long term rather than just chasing a buck and, and playing identity politics. So I'm fired up about that, man. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it's, it's pretty impressive. It's a lot of money and a lot of land. Yeah. <laughs> so, and hopefully, and we know that people are going to take advantage of it, right? So that's that's great, bro. I've been out it keeps and, the corporate America out of tapping into it too. 
But yeah, and, and and honest, I've been out at a bunch of state parks fishing and hanging out with the kids and stuff, and they're always packed. I mean, we've been on trails, getting after it, and and the trails in these public lands are 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 are, um, are packed. So look, man, and I'll be honest, it felt really cool. I know I I took the call um, that uh, Land Towney and the gang from Backcountry Hunters and Anglers asked, and I called I called my four senators, Jeremy. Um, I have four senators. Uh, I called the two in Washington where I pretend to hold residency. And I called the two in South, in South Carolina where I actually hold my official residency. I decided to make the extra call. So what you guys need to do, um, look up who your state representatives are in Congress and urge them to pass this bill um, through. And you, what you can do is uh, Google who your congressperson is by maybe zip code and then the number to get the DC switchboard is 202-224-3121. You call that number, say your congressperson's name, and when they when they get on the phone or ask you to leave a message, say, "Hey man, pass this bill without any amendments so we can get on with enjoying our public lands." So you do that, and when you get the news that they pass it, like me, you'll feel like you did something rather than just bitching about the state of affairs. You get you get you get politically <laughs> active, you know what I mean? It feels good. You jumped on board. I did. <laughs> you made it happen. Yeah, well, <laughs> and you know what's funny, too? Like, I, I don't know how I got this message. I got a um, text message from, I don't know if I signed up for something or from when we did live in Columbia, South Carolina, but this person running for a state uh, uh, seat asked me a question. I said, well, I'm not going to talk to anybody political unless I know that they're backing this act. Because to me... I want to start with issues that I'm firm on and that I think are truly bipartisan issues that everyone can agree on. And then I'm going to work backwards to the harder ones. And I think that's going to be a better route. And maybe it's something everybody can do at the dinner table when some of these harder issues come up. Hey, hey, let's table abortion and let's talk about public lands. Okay. Because, <laughs> you know, if, <laughs> if we can, we can probably all agree that mountains are awesome. And then, well, let's worry about that one later. You know what I mean? I mean, <laughs> so, um, you know, just a thought. It's a so, good thought. Yeah, it's a good thought. But um, that's me talking. Um, but hey, Jeremy, uh, the other thing, uh, I want just let's do some house cleaning. Um, we did that one with the, with that. That I can't I can't urge you guys enough. Make that call to your congressman, and I also can't urge you enough. What's Don't, that phone number again? Oh, it's oh yeah two zero two, two two four three one two one. And all you do is you call the switchboard operator will um say who do you want and you tell them and they'll. They'll, they'll they'll connect you and um, even if you don't get an assistant or something or the person just leave a message I really think that these things add up um, uh, and they get people's attentions and to be honest with you it's a lot easier than sending a form email I mean it's really quick I mean I called my four senators and left messages in under 10 minutes um, and it, it was a good feeling oh, so nice. give that a go um, so that that's one piece of housekeeping um, I also want to give a heads up, you know, our, you know, our, uh, you know, our loyal listener, Dave. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he, uh, he told us, um, he wanted to say, uh, great episode. And, um, he was talking about how to get workouts in with less time and he recommended a piece of equipment. Um, he recommended to get the rogue jammer pull-up bar. Now these are in high demand right now. Um, but uh, he said he said it's an awesome piece of equipment, and it looks like he throws it over top of his doorway, and he hammers out a bunch of pull-ups. So I wanted to thank 
our loyal listener for his review. And um, folks, you need to jump on the um, you need to jump on Dave's bandwagon the best way you can. Um, and uh, Jeremy, I know you don't have a mounted pull up bar, but you're getting it in with some sort of pull up bar, right? Yeah, yeah, I got my door jammer. Yeah, you got your door so, jammer. I got it on the door jam. I actually did those this morning. And you know what's crazy, Joe? No. There's just some things that you can do, and there's some things you can't do. And pull-ups have never been my thing, man. Okay. I don't know what it is my entire life. Maybe it's because I'm pulling up 205 pounds. It's part of it. With these noodle arms. but. <laughs> so, <laughs> listen, I'll do something I've never done before. Let me Let me compare you to my wife. Okay, uh, so she never had pull ups. Right. <laughs> she, she she or and and my kids. I'll I'll compare it to my kids too. Um, and I'll compare it, this. Will, this is most people. Um, the more you try and do them, they'll come along. So, for example, my wife actually just told me yesterday she never really had pull ups, and she's been at this for years. You know, and this is I'll build some context with this. You know, this is when she was heavy into CrossFit, trying to kip and do all that crap. And if you follow CrossFit, you know, pull-ups are important. Um, I've talked to her about it. And um, one of the reasons she, she did a double on pull-ups yesterday and she was really proud of herself. And one of the other things that helped her get along with that is she committed to trying them every day. And not only did she commit to trying to do pull-ups every day, with the Army's new PT standard, they have to do this new move. It's called like a leg tuck. And when they do this leg tuck, they actually have to do it in their PT test from a pull-up bar. So if you can imagine, they have to dead hang and then tuck their knees to touch their elbows. So what she's been doing is al- she's been alternating that movement and trying to do a pull-up every day. And she can do four leg tucks now when she couldn't do zero. And she can do two pull-ups now when she couldn't do zero and i guess the point is she tried every day and through trying every day she was like doing like little hold variations and getting some eccentric work but she was also not trying every day in the sense that she was doing something slightly different so if you guys can imagine a bilateral pull-up grip where a pull-up bar you might grab that bar with your hands um, beyond shoulder width but with this leg tuck drill She's kind of um, baseball bat gripping the bar with her arms close and almost doing like a little bit of a mini curl to get into that. So like in the same way, she's doing enough variation to get a similar similar stimulus, but she's changing it up enough where it's varied and she's getting the training in. And then the other thing that she's doing is she's just been consistent with the effort. I mean, since COVID has hit, she's really hammered that and and been working that out and she's been home more to get after it and she's just committed to it. And, you know, even as a family, before we get out on a car or do a road trip, I'll look at everybody. I said, who got their pull up in today? And everyone just goes and tries and does one. You know what I mean? So I would, I would say, uh, consistently vary how you attack those. So maybe if, um, you have the pull up issue, um, to, to maybe steal something from my wife, maybe instead of always trying to do the pull up, maybe every other day you do like a body weight row. You know what I mean? Like if you think the opposite of a push up, um, so then you're getting a yeah. hor- if then you're getting like a horizontal pull, and then you're trying that. So if that pull up is kind of junk right now, rather than maybe like what I do with my son Mason, I make him do one strict pull up because I know that's really hard for him. Then I make him shake his arms out, and then he jumps up and does a max hold with his chin over the bar and that's his pull-up work for the day 
So the other side of that is you don't need to do too much. You know what I mean? Right now, if you have the one, right. just just do the one every day. And then you'll be surprised. Soon enough, you'll have two every day. You know what I mean? And pull-ups are one of those things, though, man, that you just got to consistently stick with. You got to monitor volume because the, the, the other hard part about a pull-up is it's definitely one of those exercises where you can see that you're you're stronger isometrically and eccentrically than you are concentrically. And what I mean by that is generally when people are deconditioned or inexperienced with a pull-up, they can hold longer at the top and they can go down slower than they can actually pull their body up. And and that's good in building strength, but it's also super stressful. So sometimes if you overdo the eccentric and isometric phase of that lift, you blow yourself out where you can't do anything concentrically. So you just want to monitor your volume. So low volume, uh, vary the movement up, and um, enjoy yourself. It'll come along. Yeah, I know. It's just like <laughs> drives me crazy. My daughter jumps up there, and she's just like – she just busts them out. Yeah. Super well, impressive. Well, that's because she's – I know if Michelle did it too, she probably would do a one arm or something like that. Yeah. I don't know. No one's ever really met my wife, but she's a she's a strong cat. She's fit nasty, you can say it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. But yeah, I mean, it pulls one of them things. I mean, weight to weight ratio matters, um, volume matters. But um, even if it's hard for you guys to do it, I think pull ups are definitely something everybody should be trying to do. And my argument for that is, um, hey, you might fall in a pool, you might fall down a mountain, you might lose your legs. But and having that ability to pull your body weight in different planes is really important, you know, and. You might be lying on the ground and have to pull yourself horizontally somewhere. You might be lying under something and have to pull yourself up. And um, you know, you, you to me that's a skill you'd you you you'd rather you definitely would rather need it. No, you definitely would rather would rather have it and not need it than need it and not have it, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So makes keep, total sense. So keep at it. Well, folks. I'm gonna bust it out. I'm gonna hit I'm going to try to do one or two every single day. That's it. I could do two. They're not very strict. Yeah. But, yeah, but I, you, you know, know I, I get my stool, and then I cheat a little bit, and I can do, you know, eight of them pretty good. But <laughs> Yeah, so what what I might tell you to do then is um do one dead hang that's super strict. And just like I said with my son, then maybe hit, you know, um, three to five ones where you cheat a little bit to get that jump in. And then on the last rep... Before you're tired, think like submax effort where you can always get three more in your mind. Just jump up and then do a little bit of a submax hold with an eccentric phase. If you did something like that, okay. like once a week, but then in between just did one or two every day, you'd be money. You'd be money in the bank. And then by elk, okay, I'm gonna do it. And then by elk camp, you'll be hitting twelve. I guarantee it. Nice, and that's only even like sixty some odd days, I think. Yeah, and then stop eating cake. Maybe seven. Because weight matters too. How about that? <laughs> Damn it! So, so sweet. We we were going to cover. Well, it was my birthday last week, and every year on my birthday, Michelle makes a German chocolate cake. Woo! It's my absolute favorite, and I have to admit to you guys, I ate it for six days straight. <laughs> Very good. Enjoy yourself. There's this uh, <laughs> there's this old girl up there. It's not good. This this old girl up the road here makes an unbelievable chocolate cake, but she does this chocolate cake with like Guinness, like Guinness the beer. Ooh. It's 
It's pretty ridiculous. Um, um, and on the cake note, for Father's Day, my wife made me a really unbelievable carrot cake. And um, I I definitely indulged in it until it was gone. So it's okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, you know. I know, man. I was like, every day I told Michelle, <laughs> okay, I'm not going to do it. And next thing I know, I got the slice in front of me. But what I did do to balance out the cake was, in my training routine, when things like sub-max effort or things like uh, four sets of 12 showed up, I forced myself to do an extra couple reps for all those extra couple calories. So so there you go. Uh, you know, life is balance. Um, you should enjoy yourself. Um, that's why you end up doing all this training anyway. You know what I mean? So, um, but, uh, exactly. so, so to move it along, I know, um, we were going to hit some other fitnessy stuff in the beginning, but we'll come back to your hamstrings later. Uh, cause I think, uh, I think we hit the pull up stuff pretty hard, but, um, you know, uh, Jeremy, I was talking, I was talking to a, a whitetail man. I don't know if you caught that little chat I had with Joe miles. Um, but he said something that was super interesting about, uh, and how do you feel about this? He mentioned if people really want to be successful in the woods, they should spend three times the effort scouting as they do actually in the woods hunting. What do you, what do you think about that? No, I think it's a great thing. I spend <clears throat> I spend a lot of time e-scouting, and I'll even uh, and we can get into this later. But I think it's a great great idea, and it's it's very very helpful. And if anything. You know, you're always looking at landscape and you're still hunting inside your head. So it's going to, it does mentally prepare you for the, when that day comes. Yeah. And, and what I, I love that you brought up e-scouting on that because when he first made that statement to me, I'm like, oh, well, I, I'm screwed. So I got to hunt less <laughs> because, because uh, I, I couldn't get out and, you know, I, it's, it would be impossible for me to always get out in the field. And then I got to thinking on, I'm like, well, well, shit, then, I have to scout the e-scouting helps make that difference up to just do the dedicated um, time in front of the computer using the on X and getting on Google images. And I mean, it's definitely a way to do it. Um, and it, it's, it seems popular. I mean, back in the day, um, you know, we had a episode, I don't remember the number, but you were talking about digging through your old stuff and coming across your old maps. I mean, you used to have to like get weird topo maps and and learn how to map read, and and now all of a sudden you can just use digital imaging to really get some dynamite information. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, and it's like a, it's um, you could get it in three D. You could do. I mean, it, it's so amazing how on the e scouting nowadays, and look at the burns and all that other stuff. Where when I used the maps, I was just looking at the topography. I wasn't looking at, and I was looking at north facing slopes and south facing slopes, pockets, you know, water. You didn't really get to see what the tree layout is or what the you know what the foliage how it was all laid out with this Google Maps. Man, it, it it's it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's super it's super cool and then even with like even with on X which is cool is you can sync your your mobile device where you would use the on X and your computer where when you log into your situation and, and make different points and check spots um, that they all talk to each other now you know I know that there have been moments on the show where you know been pretty critical about the use of the phone and technology and avoiding screens and stuff but 
it would seem to me like Onyx and those sorts of similar apps can really streamline your scouting process and, and really make for efficient use of your time so you can really be woods ready. Well, you know what you could do is, I mean, if you're a guy that looks at Instagram all the time, you can take away your Instagram time or, you know, look at how long you're on that and then replace that with your e-scouting. Yeah. So yeah, when you get your update that says, Hey, you were on your Instagram for four hours, you can, you can, uh, okay. You know what? I can only check Instagram if I spend 30 minutes scouting a new spot. Right, you could do that, and then you Absolutely. can then you can check the gram, and then hopefully you just get rid of the gram, and you just make posts and you walk away from it. Um, that's what you want to do. <laughs> that's it. Well, Except- and you know what's interesting about the e scouting, which I what it, what I do a lot of times is okay, I know I'm gonna hunt this area, and I'll, I'll look at the map of that area almost every day to every other day, like thirty to forty days leading up to. Um, the hunting season be, and I'll spend 10 minutes or so just looking at it to familiarize myself and see things that I didn't see before. But also what I'm doing is I'm putting this mental picture of it inside my head. So when I do get into the field, it's a little more bam, bam, bam. Okay. I know where I'm going. I'm hitting this ridge and then I'm less likely to get lost and I'm more likely to find the holes that I was hoping to go to. Yeah. And I love that idea, like not gloss over it. I mean, and that even works in that even works in a um, in a real sense too. I mean, for you know, um, I've been I've been spending a lot of time fishing right now. Uh, going out, I love chasing these sea run cutthroat. I've been enjoying it, and when I can get off for a quick place, there's a spot that's pretty local. It's forty minutes from the house. I know it pretty well. But even going out there at different tides and different times, you notice certain things. And there was this spot under this tree, and I happened to just be there when the tide was out further than usual. And I noticed a tree limb and that like a big log that's always there. And I'm like, oh, shit, that's a good spot. And then yesterday when I went out fishing, I hammered away at that little spot and I slayed them at that little spot because, you know, the sea runs. Nice. They're they're predatory. So they're, you know, they're eddied up behind things, even the current. So like it's cool if you can find a way to look at the same spot through a different lens you can find that that little spot, that little thing, that little something different. You know what I mean? I love it. Absolutely. So, do and then you learn. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say. Um, you were gonna say you learn what? Um. Well, and and like I was saying earlier, you learn how to navigate through the land and how to um, you have that mental picture in there. So it just it gives you that confidence too when you get out there. Sweet. To help you be more successful. It's one less thing you have to worry about when you get out there hunting elk is, okay, I I understand the landscape. I understand how this is. And just because you look at it maybe for two hours or three hours, you're still not going to have that mental picture inside your head. And then when you're out there and then you have your app open, you're like, okay, I know exactly where this is and I'm going to go to here and I'm going to go to there. It kind of, to me, sounds like mental reps, like our football coaches used to be like, hey, you should be watching what's out there. You should know the call and you should act like what you would do if you were in that scenario and get mental reps. And, you know, people scoff at some of that stuff and visualizing what might happen in that spot. But if you put yourself there, it you'll be ready to execute when things happen. I mean, think about turkey season. Um, imagine on that last day of that last walkout, if we had taken a moment before we 
had started walking back to the truck. And if we were like, hey, man, remember how we spent two hours ago, 40 minutes calling at the top of that ridge? Let's walk back there like the turkeys might be there. <laughs> we might have. Yeah, we might hunt them. <laughs> yeah. And rather than bullshitting about elk season on the way back in and, and not and giving a second thought. I mean, we would have might have we might have had a, a better opportunity. Not that we didn't, but it was fleeting and quick and, and it and it happened. But you know, so like mental reps matter. And I guess if you could take some mental reps while you're e scouting and maybe even visualize, well, this is a good saddle, this might be a good ambush spot, this is a bedding place, you know. What what am I gonna do when I get there? That's another layer of scouting that, that you can do now to prepare yourself for the hunt. Yeah, absolutely. And and if everybody in your hunting group is doing it and then you put all your minds together because you're all looking at the maps in a different kind of viewpoint from your own experiences, then you got this ultimate team, right? Yeah, rather than just relying on the one guy to do it all and say, go here and do this. I mean, and, and, and I've been guilty of that. Yeah. But, but for me, like the last few years, it's been like, okay, I don't know how to shoot my bow. I don't know if my gear fits well. I really don't like sleeping outside. Like, like I've been getting so overwhelmed with the whole thing. Well, I actually feel like this season, going into my third camp, like I'm going into it with a skill set where I would be, I can be lethal, right? So now it's just a matter of can I execute it in the place. So I'm actually able now to put more bandwidth towards this side of it, and I'm pretty fired up to do that and pick out some spots and pick your brain about what I'm thinking. So. Um, and that's kind of the point of this e-scouting episode is to maybe talk about what I'm thinking about um, looking at based off just like reading articles about it and, and developing a base plan and um, uh, doing it from there. So let me ask you another question. What, one other conclusion that I kind of came to in talking with uh, talking with Joe um, when he was talking about whitetail, but I couldn't help but thinking that like whitetail deer are similar to Roosevelt elk in the sense that they're more home-bodied and patternable. Um, and then also in that conversation, you know, I kind of came to the conclusion that prioritizing in terms of e-scouting, finding good good bedding areas was a, was a pretty decent place to start a verge into e-scouting. Um, uh, how do you recognize bedding areas and, and what do you look for in them in, in, in particular in terms of from a, from an e-scouting standpoint for elk and let's say let's be um, even more specific so let's say september elk because that's different than late season elk so we'll go sep- early season elk archery bedding areas e-scouting go okay early season you're looking for um about three quarters of the way up north facing slopes um, typically sometimes, um, the West facing or East facing slopes are good as well. Um, and I'm looking for fingers for lack of better terms. So you have a finger ridge that's going out and then it, it kind of goes, say it goes down in this three degrees or whatever the mountain is, and then it gets flat and then it goes back down. So you're looking for these fingers and what the elk will do is they'll bed down on those fingers in all different directions. And normally the timber is a little more open. It's not like dense, like a reprod or um, something like that. It would be like big, big timber, maybe tall ferns, but 
um, but they'll be on those fingers and they'll bed down in all different formations so that they can see anything coming in from any direction. And the reason why they like being three quarters up or on those ridge fingers is when in the afternoon, when that wind turns around, it's siphoning up through those valleys, up through the ridge and coming right to them. So it's almost like they pick, they choose places where the, the wind siphons right to them from three different point so then if something is there then they can jump over that north facing slope to the south um they could go side hill or on the if there's in the east side they could jump over to the north so and sometimes they're on the west side so but well, well that's, usually big thick dense forests on these fingers well that's the thing right i mean you can sit there and e-scout your to your heart's content and but that's no guarantee right i mean just like anything else, living things do strange things. But no, you, you bring up some cool points about that, that that make a ton of sense. I mean, they, you know, I refuse to believe that an elk is smarter than me. But where I will give those animals is because they don't have as many distractions and they're so focused on surviving and trusting their instincts, they probably have pretty good ones. Their instincts are probably better than mine. And their awareness of their environment in every snap, twig, pop is probably much more aware. So their instincts and survivability, I think, are pretty cool. And just they're probably great at determining a pretty good exit plan, right? I mean, that that's just that's just what they gotta do, especially these um especially these switched on critters who are hunting in public land. Uh let, uh I want to ask you something. So I never understood this slope situation, um, but actually reading this e-scouting article, I finally had a clicked in kind of like light bulb moment come off. There were some times where it's like, hey, we want this slope and sometimes that slope. But it seems like from a behavioral perspective, early season, because it's hotter, they're looking for bedding areas that are cooler. But so that's where you're looking for the um, north-facing slope. Will that change in late season because they want a more of a warmer spot? Will they bed on maybe more southern-facing areas that get more sun exposure because maybe they want to be warmer when they're bedding? No, I think it, I think it's all the same, especially for Roosevelt elk. It, they're they're gonna they have particular bedding areas, and I don't know if you can you know kind of think back of where I kind of got my bull. But we did one hunt uh, last year, and um, there was a spot where there was beds everywhere. I don't know if you remember that. You kind of crossed over to it. Okay. Um, but with that being said, it's it's definitely a spot where they go to frequently. And I think with Roosevelt elk, they're they're not like whitetail in the sense that whitetail will go into a field, they'll eat, they'll go into the same bedding area. And they'll go back and forth. Roosevelt elk are doing um, one afternoon they could be bedded here. The other afternoon they could be bedded on the other side of the mountain. And then the next day, I mean, they do like a two-week loop. So, and then, and then when they circle back on that second part of the week, and we'll just say it's a two-week loop. I mean, that's what everybody thinks. But um, say it comes back on that two-week loop, they're not going to go to the same bedding spot they were that prior two weeks a lot of times. They're going to go to a different spot. So they're kind of sporadic in the big, big one, but they do go to certain bedding spots. And I, and let's put it this way. It's like turkeys where they go to specific roosting trees that they know 
in a big geographical area, but they're not in the same roosting tree every night. I understand. They have a circuit. I mean, it's like in fitness where for for time's sake, you might set up a squat station, a push-up station, a sit-up station, and then you'll rotate through them. And where you might do it in a couple sets, elk might have a time frame where Monday, they're just, they rotate. They rotate day to day. It might be longer. I think there's a, there's actually a big ECAM guy that I follow for scouting on this. I forget his name, but I found him through listening to Brian Call's podcast where he said he actually had tracked one elk and through his, um, through just really dialing himself in on what he does with his cameras, he found out that this one elk had like a two-week rotation, like you're talking about. And this yeah. this guy guides in a unit that is in Utah that's very sought after, where it's one of those units where hiring him to guide you is easy, but getting the tag might take 20 years. But he said he had a gentleman out there that was on a once-in-a-lifetime hunt, and the dude was like, they missed the chance at the elk. And the guide was like, hey, man, um, if you're up for it, if you can hold out for 12 days, he'll be back. <laughs> In the meantime, we'll hunt <laughs> We'll hunt other things. He, but then he's like, the only guarantee I can't make is someone else might get him. But I know his rotation. Yeah. And I think what had happened uh, to, as the story plays out, man, I wish I could remember which episode of – gritty this was but it played out in the guy's favor where he's patient he sat and waited on it and um pretty cool but it speaks to exactly what you're saying like i mean again like i said i don't know if these things are smart but i i do believe wholeheartedly better than humans these animals trust their instincts and their 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 awareness of their home ranges however big that is is probably better than even what we know about our own vehicles we drive in you know what i mean yeah absolutely and and you know that's usually early season, late season, or and when I say late season, it's maybe towards the end of September. You know, the patterns really change because now sometimes what they'll do, it's very sporadic, depends on how the pressure is. Because if everybody's going these ridge fingers, then they're going to be down deep in the canyons and down by water. Mm. They might be bedded down in those big alder flats or the, um, uh, sometimes, you know, those big, uh, what is it, salmon, salmon berry, I believe it is. It's just which thick, are, steep. Yeah. Ice. Which are so fun so, to hike through. Ugh, it's brutal. <laughs> That's where there's a reason why I have snips with me. Yeah. Which is, you know, they're going in the pack for me this year. Um, and, and, you know, one of the, one of the really simple articles that I read and we'll show, we'll throw it into the show notes, but it was a really cool, like matter of fact to the point, um, blog post from the first light guys, but they said one of the ways to beat that pressure, especially now, there's an influx of meatheads like me getting into hunting that were just guys who want to go deeper. But they brought up the point that maybe the way to do what people aren't doing now is to find those nasty spots that are tighter to the trailhead because they're these guys are bedding down. Um, you know, so I guess my question for you is how the heck on public land do you predict what these elk are going to do based on pressure cuz we know it impacts the animal i mean do, do you think it's do you think it's i mean look we can only make two decisions we are either going to hunt closer or go further cuz if you get caught in no man's land you're sitting there where everybody else is so i mean where where do you put your eggs where where do you put your bets <laughs> <laughs> 
So I, what I will, what I do in, in part of my e-scouting is I look at all the trail systems and how they're formatted. And then I look at the topography and then I look at, and then I sit there and think, um, I, I go, okay, so most hunters are only going to go a hundred yards typically off of the main trailhead, right? And for some for whatever reason, they feel like they're going to get lost or whatever. So you look at that, and then you take a hundred yard, you take that trail, you go out a hundred yards, and you draw a circle, and then you look down at the deep, deepest, nastiest, ugly hole, <laughs> and that's where the elk are going to be. Yeah. And 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 it's 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 a matter if you want to go down there, and you have to. It's it's all about timing, right? Because early morning, where's the wind? The wind's shoveling downhill, so that's why they're going to be down in these little pockets um, siphon it let's just call them a siphon area it's where all the wind is going to siphon to this one little spot but there's always a loophole there's always a way to get in there so you got to figure out how you're going to backdoor them and come up in there without being detected but um i think i told the story one time when i was over in the ochicos and there's a unit that's hit really hard there's trails everywhere and i i got there i thought okay Pressures on opening morning is going to be on all these trailheads and these elk are going to get pushed down here and they're going to be there at about nine o'clock. So I hunted and then I got down to that one spot at nine o'clock and I seen a set of antlers go by me at 60 yards, another <laughs> set, another set. There was 34 bulls approximately that went right underneath me. And then all of a sudden I, this was before I could actually call. So I did the hoochie mama. This was 12 years ago. So I did the hoochie moment and they, um, they literally broke out of there. They took off. They didn't like what they heard. Mm. So they busted out of there. And then I ran down after him, got on the hillside. And then I looked up and there was about 130 head of elk. <laughs> Giant herd. <laughs> but they were all in this, they were all in that deep, nasty, ugly pocket. And then here I had to sit here and chase these elk for, Oh, she's, two and a half hours up and down ridges, up and down ridges. And then I thought, oh my gosh, they're going to go over the saddle, which is on the top. So I ran up to the trailhead, ran into the saddle, got a shot off at a bull and missed. And, um, but they were there just like I thought because they're, because of all that pressure around them. Yeah. And, and it's, it's something, it's something to navigate. So that's either, even something too. I mean, looking at situations like that pre and post to determine, okay, you know, these are, these are my plan A's, B, C's or whatever. And then, you know, this is where, you know, if they get quiet and bedded down, this is, this is an option for us, um, which I think is pretty cool. I want to, um, I want to talk about one thing you brought up is this watering source. And, you know, sometimes watering sources, um, you know, it's easy to find like a river on a, um, on a, on a Google image or whatnot, but some of these water sources are hard to pick up. Um, is there, is there, is there a way, outside of seeing a river or a creek to determine like a potential water source on some of these um satellite images or or do you have like a water source trick i mean um because ultimately like right when we're looking at e-scouting you know bedding and then water source we probably want those to be pretty close but you know water sources can be hard to come by or what we've seen here in washington because it's so wet there's water everywhere so like Right. How, do you, how do you zero in on what's a good place where they might be getting water? 
Well, for the Roosevelt elk, you know, you're just going to follow the drainages and that's where they're going to be. But when you're getting into the Rocky Mountain elk where they're in higher elevations, water is less up there than it is on the lower elevations, you, in your Google map, and it, you just look for the drainages. You look for um, on the maps where it's a lot, you know, the foliage is a lot more green than everything else around it. And But it's a hit and miss when it comes because in September that could be all dried up and they could have took the satellite imagery in in June when it was the most lush so it's kind of a you, you look for a major river here's the best way to do it you look for a major river or a major creek and then you just follow all the tributaries to that particular water source and then you figure out which drainage is the biggest and then that's more than likely where you're going to find the most water and then i mean and then when you're out hiking and you're hunting that you're just looking for little pockets because sometimes you'll come up onto a water source that's just a trickle and then it goes back down into the earth so the water source could be only 10 feet mm. and then it's gone yeah and preferably you'd want so the main thing is just follow the rivers up get the biggest drainage you can and follow that drainage up and you're more than likely that's where your water source is going to come in so even combining or, or be so, so, so kind of combining what you said before about um, bedding areas, I mean, maybe the play there when you're e-scouting is to maybe work backwards from a big water source like a river, like you just said, and just playing that out to where you could find a little creek off a tributary with a nice finger like that, a deep tinger, deep, yeah, yeah and then um, that sounds good to me. Uh, and then I guess the... the uh, the final trident on that kind of picking your spots that you want to check out would be locating a feed area. Um, are there characteristics that, that, that you look for, um, that are really simple? Cause again, sometimes you can look at it and say, Hey man, this is like an elky feed area, but, but, but what's good feed to these guys and what's well, it look like? I mean, good, you know, the good feed part, I, I, I really don't know what, what they're looking for. I mean, it's naturally, it's nutrition and, and stuff like that. And it all depends on the soil. And there could be a whole freaking 10 podcasts on that. Well, what I I'm mean, looking for to, is I'm looking yeah. for these southeast, south and southeast Perfect. and even southwest facing slopes where the sun is hitting on there and it's allowing the grass to grow. Uh, burn areas are a great spot, right? Because when... Um, once you get a good burn, it goes through there. The foliage that comes up is high in nutrients. That's why they, you know, funnel to those. But I'm looking for like open fields, an area where the sun is hitting the earth and allowing some good foliage to come up. And it's usually on the south, southeast, and even southwest facing slopes. So those slopes get more sun. And if if they get enough sun where the sun can actually get to the soil then you're just going to get new growth. I mean, that's what you're looking for. I mean, and and it makes it makes sense because even you've noticed there's a particular characteristic that you've kind of touched base on that you've talked about in terms of what these elk do um, when there's fresh cut trees coming down. I mean, haven't you talked about how they'll be nipping on the tops of those trees when they're falling? Yeah, absolutely, man. There's after a new fall or new timber fall, those you'll find herds of elk in those um, areas, and they're eating yeah at the tops of the trees because it, it's the 
it's the new growth, right? Every year, these trees, they grow a little bit, and they always have about six to eight inches of new growth, and those elk will flock to those damn things. It's actually pretty amazing. Yeah, so rather than sit here and try to say, well, they eat this forb, and this forb grows on this scale, and this, that, and this is higher protein, and this sort of grass, like, you're just looking for south-facing, south-to-south-face-westing um, open spaces that get new growth. I mean, that, yeah. that that's a general way to put it. Absolutely. It's earlier in the season, they're on those southeast sides because um which and when i say early earlier in the summer that's where when you're scouting that's where you kind of want to be is the southeast facing slopes and then more towards the september time that's that southwest is where it is because it's it's um how do i put it the southwest facing slopes if there's snow or anything like that it's usually cooler on the southwest it slopes versus the southeast hmm. Well, sweet. I mean, yeah, so there, there's the trident of, like, things to look for. Where are they bedding? Where are they feeding? What, Where are they getting water? These are things that we know that they need. Um, and I guess with that, I mean, when, when you e-scout like this, like, how many, how many potential spots like that should a guy, especially a public land hunter, um, especially a guy who might be like running and gunning for the weekend. I mean, how many spots will you have in your mind or marked on your GPS where you feel good about it going into the hunt? Uh, usually three to f- three to five, and it's usually right around the general same spot. I mean, I'm looking for ridge systems that are going east and west, and I'm also looking for ridge systems that are on the north-facing side that are going north and south. And I, I wonder if um no, I mean it sound it sounds like a plan. I mean, so um you know, and it's something everybody can do. I mean, even if you're not using an app like On X, I mean you were uh before you got turned on to On X, I mean you were doing all this through Google Earth. Right. And before that I was doing it off of mapping systems. And one thing I forgot to touch on when you're talking about the water. Google Maps isn't really that great at showing you where water is, but if you get an actual map of that area, they usually have all the springs put on there. They have because there's people that have actually been boots on the ground that go in there and put, okay, this is the John Doe Spring, the Fred Barr Spring, Dry Creek. They'll show all those springs. <laughs> yeah, Dry Creek. All those things are show up on legit maps, and you won't find them on Google Maps, even on X. I've I mean, the detail is a lot different. So if you're looking for water holes and then you're like, okay, I followed my river up, I got into this drainage, I got into this creek, and then you order that map for that area, it's going to show you all where all the springs are. And then what you say ordering the map, let's say you did want to do this old school, and honestly, um, this is something I'm getting into. Um, uh, my uncle, my uncle's an interesting guy up the road here in Seattle. He's done some really cool exploring and... I was trying to talk to him about this and he's got, and he goes, he goes, you know, that's all well and good, but nothing's better than a paper map. And the point there is the batteries aren't going to run out on it. You know what I mean? So that's super important. I mean, so going out and getting these maps is, is probably a really important backup. Um, uh, and is that as simple as calling like WDFW? I mean, how do you get these topo maps? 
Yeah, you can get them off of WDFW. Um, there's there's a God, what, name, what is the name of the company? There's a company that actually makes maps for every unit in the United States. So you can call them up, say, okay, I'm gonna hunt in um, Unit Five Sixty Lewis Unit or whatever, and then they'll then you can get it from them. Oh, sweet. Yeah, do I mean? But like anything else, do your work and get it done. But that, it seems to me like something you'd want to have. Well, and in this day and age, is it? Is, are people really going to do it? No, because it's an, another, you know, three ounces to carry in the woods, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so what? That's why I I am big on looking at the area that I'm a hunt every single day for those final days leading up to the season. Because if my Onyx does go kerputz or my phone or I drop it or I lose, I still have the map in my head. Hmm. I'm not looking at it e scouting going okay, I'm marking it right here and this is where I'm going. Because are you going to remember that? When you get out into the, the real world, it's completely different, man. Yeah. I mean, these little knolls, you thought, okay, well, this is only rising 100 feet and you get there and it's like, oh my gosh, there's a big giant cliff here. Oh my gosh, there's this, there's that. And then if you lose your map and then you're like, oh my God, how am I going to get out of here? Well, I'll build some... So that's why I look at it consistently. I want to build some context on that and give you an example. Do you remember? Um, do you remember our late season? Remember our late season elk hunt where I put that um, I put that I put that stalk on that uh, cow that was bedded down. Yeah, and it happens fast where you get turned around. <laughs> I mean, we sat there, looked at the elk, which was 150 yards away, and we looked at where she was, and you're like, okay, just. Just tinker along that little ridge there and come around her here. And I did, you know, I had my, I was, I had Remy Warren in my head. Pick a, pick a landmark that you can always zero in on. And I drop into that dam <laughs> behind that ridge and I ended up two ridges over. And I thought <laughs> I was where I was. And then when I popped up, I was like, where the fuck is Jeremy? Where's that elk? And <laughs> like, literally, I, I think I was gone like, what, 45 minutes, which should have been a 15-minute stalk? Like, it wasn't far, and I oh, made, yeah. and I I made s- it. It's crazy what happened, especially in this dense stuff that we're in. So, like, again, that, that visual context and finding a way to get experience, and uh, it happens, man. You do get lost, and it, it, the real world is not a scouting report, and all plans are great until you get punched in the face, especially by, you know, a patch of salmon berries. You know what I mean? Like, it's wild. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's why I say if you're looking at that thing every day, you're going to have that confidence. You're going to have that mental toughness that if if it does break, there's a better chance that you're going to get out of there. Because I think what a lot of guys do, and I know a few of them, they're constantly looking at this thing and relying on it. And then if they were to lose that, it would be game over, man. Yeah. They, I mean – it, they go in, automatically into panic mode. They automatically they turn into that seventy-five percent that of the you know. There's a statistic that seventy-five percent of the people that die in the woods, hikers, hunters, have all the necessary equipment to live or survive three to five days. And there's a reason because they get out there, they get turned around, and they freak out because they don't know where they're at. Yep. And, and so I think too, another side of that too, is even like also like taking this mental note when you do, do, um, 
like a little like I'll tell you a really cool thing that I can remember too. Just again, so, just so you know, I don't screw everything up when I go in the woods. Uh, when you did kill your bull last, <laughs> when you did kill your bull last year, and we went on that kind of like little push. I remember making a note because um, I marked where you went. I marked where uh, I marked where the first hunting partner went in. I marked where you went in. And then I took a note on the digital map before I walked in. But I remember also looking forward. Okay, when it starts to go back up, I know I'm here. So what I had done was I kind of was uh, zigzagging back and forth, you know, thinking I'm calling, picking things up. I'm actually listening to you about, you know, 400 yards away, put the play on your, your, your bull. But it was a cool moment for me where I remember as the topography changed a bit, I said, okay. I think I, I know where I am. And just for fun's sake, I pulled out the on X and I was like, oh, I was right. So that was also pretty cool. Like you can also use hunting, especially when you're new at it like I am, to play those games. And I think what's really cool about yeah. where that opportunity came up was, you know, that was that was one of the first times where I wasn't just watching your back in the woods. I was playing off of you. You know what I mean? And and those are some things that right. especially if you're like me going into the woods and you know maybe it's your second year or maybe it's your first year, you know, use your technology and your hunting mentors around you to put your place in in a spot where you're getting really good reps, not just mimicking the guy in front of you. And that's also to go back to a comment you made earlier. That's probably another way where if you want to contribute to hunting camp, not just be a burden on hunting camp, that's something you should start to do. And the sooner you do that more, you'll stop stalking 40 yards or 40 minutes in the wrong direction. And you'll start pushing animals to your hunting partners, not just, uh, you know, not just making everybody's day longer. Yeah, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna throw this out there. You're guaranteed hunting success. You're not guaranteed hunting success when you follow another guy. Sure. Because you're not using your own instincts. Yeah. You're not using like you're saying, you're not you're not doing those mental reps in the in the course of the field. Did I ever tell you the story about my side of that push hunt, by the way, after you killed your bull? I do re- I do remember it, but go ahead and uh when, Remind me when I don't know if you remember. You guys were all, you know, we get back to the truck and you tell your little story about how you lost an arrow and you were talking shit and whatever. And then you're like, "Oh, we killed a bull." But you know, I remember because we, <laughs> we had this, <laughs> we had decided we were all going to push together and meet back at the truck, right? Well, you know yeah. what's funny? Going into all this stuff, when I was about four to five minutes coming out of the woods, I was actually in a bit of a rush because I knew we had to meet at a spot. Right. And I was like, I don't want to screw this up. You know, we've been out pushing this thing for however long it was. And as I'm coming in, I decided I was going to call. So I was, you know, I was lightly chirping cow calls and I got a response, but because we were so close to the truck, I thought it was one of you guys fucking with me. And then <laughs> I mentioned it to somebody. Hey, did you guys hear any cows or were any of you guys calling? And uh, Tim said, no, I wasn't. And I don't know if everybody heard the question, but then it made me think, son of a bitch. And But you know what's interesting about that? Summing up everything we're talking about, that drainage was in a creek 
about um, about 50 yards off the road. And it was one of those real shitty spots. Because if you remember where we had parked that truck, it was in a really weird switchback that got pretty deep pretty fast. Um, yeah. but, but I can remember it. There was a, there was a cow in there that was probably scattered out from, um, that bull. Cause you said that was a pretty sizable herd in that timber bedded down. Yeah, there was eight or nine. Yeah. Well, I didn't kill one of them, <laughs> but I did have a brief conversation know, with her. That's the only bummer when you have a hunting party and then you, you, you know, and you always want to stick with the plan, which is get to the truck at whatever. And then um, you get into elk like that. It's it's always hard to damn it. I got to get to the truck. I got to get to the truck. And then you start second guessing yourself and doing that. Well, let's. I did that one year over where kind of where we're going to be hunting in Oregon, and um, I the night before got this bull to respond off my cow calls, and then we went in there the next day, and I go, okay, I think they're on this bench, and. I walk over and I see this rub on a tree and it, and it was a decent one. And I thought, okay. And then I, I set all my crap down where I was going to, you know, post up. And then my cousin Lee was down below me about 60 yards. And I let out one cow call and this bugle popped off like literally 20 yards away, mm. maybe 30. But then I was like, man, that sounded too stinking I don't know if that was real or not. And I started second guessing myself and everything. So damn Lee. <laughs> I, I started moving and then lo and behold, the whole herd busts out of there and goes down below us. And then I was able to call them all back up and there was 10 elk and uh, one huge, probably three, three forty bull. And then there was another satellite two two fifty, And, uh, I second guessed myself. I thought it was another hunter. I was like, I was too, too real. Yeah, I guess. For, I guess too. I mean, assume it's real. I mean, that's what's even. You know, I was having yeah, this. Always. I was having this situation. Like, I was trying to justify, you know, slamming bluegill and perch with the family. And, you know, there is a lot of value in that, in the sense that when you hit like a good perch hole and you put your hook in the water, expecting success. You usually get it. But then how many times have you gone fishing where you just cast it out there, a first cast out, whatever, and you get a hit and you miss it because you weren't expecting it, right? So it's like it's the same thing with elk hunting and stuff. Like in the same thing with our turkey hunt, like every step you take, if you take it with the idea that this step is crucial to my success down the line, you're probably going to eventually experience that success. And that's that's that patience muscle that we're all working on every day, ain't it? (laughs) <laughs> so i've blown way out way too many animals because of the lack of patience i'm the worst i'm always next ridge i gotta get to the next ridge i gotta get to the next ridge gosh well it, you saying that makes me think of that i mean listen i put about a patient as a stalk as you can on a herd of about five on that late season hunt i talked about and i got up when i thought i should i got up slow and i still busted them out because there were there were there were some calves in the timber that I didn't know were there. So even when you're doing it right or thinking you're doing it right, sometimes these animals that I refuse to say are smarter than me get you. So, um, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> but uh, I, th- I, th- I think this is a good little episode, folks. If you're if you're if you've not e-scouted and you want to contribute to camp or you want to pick out spots, just get on Google Earth, match it up with the unit you're going to hunt, and 
you know, look for, you know, I, th- I think the, the, the big points that a lot of folks are going to be looking for are those bedding, feeding, and water sources, you know what I mean? And um, it seems to me like the bedding and feeding areas are a little easier to pick up than the water, but obviously you want to find them that are uh, in, in close proximity. Um, Jeremy, if there's like one next level thought or idea in terms of e-scouting that you can leave, you know, because obviously, you know, your experience in doing this is, is a lot more than mine, but um, let's say you're talking, let's say if you want to throw a tip out to the guy who's in his third year, thinks he knows a little something, and he really wants to pick out a honey hole that, that I, I'll tell you what would fire me up more than anything. If I was like, hey, Jeremy, let's try this spot on this day. And I think I'd be more thrilled with you killing an animal in a spot that I picked than me killing an animal. You know, I just think I just think that's another way to get success. So, like, I mean, what 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 what's that one? What's what's one other thing I could be looking on in terms of e scouting or these guys? Um, you know, something more that you know that folks might get from your experience rather than just reading a blog that they get off off the Google. Well, I think the, <clears throat> the the biggest advice is just look at the road and trail systems and then look to where the hunter is least likely to go. Mm. Okay. Plan your hunt around that little part of the region. And then you have to also think about the wind and how you're going to penetrate and get down in there. Yeah, we'll we'll have to spend a whole another hour on these thermals. I'm thinking I'm getting, you know, even reading the e-scout stuff and looking into it, you start to get an idea because the, some of these better articles will not only talk about what you should be looking for, but they'll talk about it in terms of how the animals behave. And I know the thermals and the wind and stuff can be an interesting thing to pick up, but when you start to accumulate some of these points people make, but pair it with how the animals behave, it actually does start to sink in. So we'll have to talk about playing the wind um, uh, on the next one. But uh, it's getting close, man. Uh, You said about 60 days. I know the opener here in Washington is what, uh, September 12th? Correct. It's going to be a fired up, it's going to be a fired up weekend. Um, I think... I'm going to kill two elk this year, one in Washington, one in Oregon. Can't wait to do it. And it'll be because of you, brother. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's both do it. Yeah, you should pack out two of my elk this year since I've packed out two years over the last two years. I would love to pack out. I, I wonder, I've got a question for folks listening. What do you think the record is for, like, I, and I'm sure it's got to be a guide. Well, how many elk do you think you could pack out in a season? I mean, legitimately. What do yeah, you think? that'd be... That would be a cool little. Uh, that would be a cool little question to hear answered. Yeah, I'm gonna try to write that down. Like, like I wonder if that's the next thing we could try to do. Like, have a competition over a season to see who could pack the most meat out. And that's probably a cool way to measure it. Like, how many pounds in a season? And I'm sure, I'm sure there's some like Montana Remy Warren guide out there who's just every day, who's every day I'm going to get a hindquarter, and he does it. I bet that guy's a maniac. I want to meet that guy. Let's find it. Okay. Hopefully I am that guy. I want to be that guy. And I think it would be fired up, man. Well, we got to, you got two to get and I have two to get. So we're in trouble. We got to get four. And we got to get guys in camp to get them too. So um, uh, we'll fire it yeah, up. Guys. I think Tim and Dave have a high chance. Well, I want it. I want to, I want as much to just, I'll be honest. And I said it, I've said it on the show before. That pack out is the shit. 
That's the best. You know, yeah. getting your trekking it poles in, lunging up mountains. You feel like you're doing something, man. And it's like, to be honest, it's it's probably how guys who got through the Great Depression look back on their life. And they're probably like, that was hard. But that was awesome. I'm better for that. You know, that's how I feel. <laughs> that's how I feel about at the end of a pack out. Like, it sucks. But, man, it's like, it encapsulates everything, man. So, um, here's a... Uh, Here's to wishing that I pack something out. Jeremy, hoping, hoping to pack one of your bulls out again, and you guys listening, and I hope that we've given you some tips and tricks on e-scouting so you can pack out some critters um, of your own and you can experience what I'm getting at because um, it's it's the best, brother. So um, train, hunt, live it. Get after it. Pack it out and uh, get your scouting in. Jeremy, my man, um, you've made me a better hunter today. Thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome, man. <laughs> God bless America. Get after it, folks. Very cool. Great stuff, dude.